why did God allow this to happen to me? That's the question that Job asked today as we continue our journey through God's entire word on Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, and as the Bible bus pulls up to Job chapter 24, verse 1, we'll hear a final word from Bildad, one of Job's close friends. But before we jump into our study, Greg Harris, Through the Bible's president, is here to give us an update on the travels of our world prayer team. So hi, Greg. Hey, Steve. And uh, we just want to say hi to all of our listening family and especially our world prayer team members. Yes. Thank you for traveling the world on your knees and and if you're not on the world prayer team steve how do you get on the world prayer team oh it's so easy you just go to ttb.org forward slash pray you just put your name and email address in and you are going to get an email every monday through friday that will revolutionize that dreary task of going through your inbox and you'll be able to stop in the midst of that totally worthless endeavor for the most part (laughs) and you'll be able to pray and have an impact and you'll be encouraged by the story that you just read that god is moving in this world and uh, if you're new to our program, that's the closest we come to being salesy. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not we're, we're trying to sell you on a great spiritual discipline that will bless your life and give you a ministry uh, to to reach people around the world on your knees. Yeah. And and this week, our world prayer team is in northern Europe. And today we want to focus on uh, the Netherlands and our ministry in Dutch. And Steve. I got to tell you, normally I would think we're not going to get much response, right. and we have a couple of great letters to yeah. share. It is such an encouragement to read these letters. Here's the first one. I started studying God's Word with you in January, and am now at Colossians. Sometimes I am touched so deeply that I say, Lord, let it touch me less deeply. I can't see the way through my tears anymore. Wow, that is mm, quite an wow. emotional picture there. I have to be honest, though. Sometimes it doesn't touch me at all, and I think, well, Lord, your word will never return to you empty, so I believe you're doing something in me, though I don't know it. This week, I was really touched by Colossians chapter 2 about the Lord Jesus, that everything was made through him and to him, and we will inherit with him. I was also touched by the nine things that made the Lord Jesus unique. Thank you, and God bless you richly. Yeah, and, and this is the flinging of the seed, Steve. Some of the soil is going to yield this kind of response. Maybe not as much as we would like, but that's up That's up to the Lord. Yeah. Now, here's another Dutch listener who wrote, Now it is time to wake up the Netherlands and the world with the gospel. Amen. Amen. That's what we're trying to do, my friend. Uh, this letter goes on. I once spoke to an elderly gentleman about the gospel, and he started to feel homesick for the Second World War because he said, Then you went on your knees. Many people today are desperate of fear as the Lord Jesus foretold, and yet there is an anchor. There is hope in these dark times. Thank you for seizing the opportunities God has given you. Wow. Yeah. So hopefully you're on our world prayer team and you can be praying for what is typically a very dead part of the world spiritually yes. in, yeah. in terms of Christianity, Western Europe, Northern Europe. Pray that God would bring revival to that part of the world. Pray that the people that you've just listened to give their testimonies would be able to tell others about the gospel and pray that God would be faithful in honoring his word as we seek to give it out with the ministry of Through the Bible and all the different ways we're trying to do that. And Steve, we talked about this earlier this month in one of our conversations, but don't forget there are a lot of immigrants in many of these countries. Here's a short note from an Arabic listener. I'm assuming they listened uh, Mm. digitally. The best thing is to understand the Bible, and through your studies I am Thank you. Now, we don't know if that person is of Muslim background or not, but that's that's encouraging 
Don't forget we can pray for that as well. Yeah, and let me do that now as we begin our study in Job 24. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the way you are being faithful in Western Europe and Northern Europe to get the Word of God out. I pray that you would continue to allow us to do that, that you would continue to use the ministry of Through the Bible to call many people to yourself, that we would be able to play a part in discipling those who seek to know you more. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the ministry as it goes out today all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee on Through the Bible with Job 24. Now as we come to the 24th chapter of Job, friends, we see Job's answer that he's giving here to Eliphaz, and he has already, in the 23rd chapter, expressed a desire to find God, because the invitation that Eliphaz gave him was, acquaint now thyself with him. Now, Job knows him as Redeemer. He calls him that. But he doesn't understand what's happening to him. And he needs the comfort and the help and the light from heaven. And that hasn't been forthcoming from his friends. Now, Eliphaz also did something else that was quite terrible, I think. He picked up the gossip. Because this old natural heart of man, they conceive all kinds of things when they don't know the facts. And they knew Job was suffering, and that apparently God was punishing him, and it was some secret sin. And that was pretty much the understanding. Now, Eliphaz makes a stab at the trouble of Job, and he begins to try to ferret out the thing, that secret sin that he thinks is in his life. And so we find now Job turns to that, by the way, before he finishes answering him. And it causes him actually to become more defensive. In fact, it raises another question with him. And the question is this, why is God so exacting with me? And he apparently condones the actions of others that are really sinners, and it's out in the open that they are sinners. And so he begins to deal with that in the 24th chapter. Listen to him. He says, Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? Some remove the landmarks. Now, they're dishonest. They remove landmarks. They violently take away flocks. They steal and feed thereof. They drive away the ass of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They're dishonest in their dealings, and they take advantage of others, of their need. They turn the needy out of the way. The poor of the earth hide themselves together. And he says, they reap everyone as corn in the field, and they gather the vintage of the wicked. Why, he says, the corn crop of the wicked makes as many bushels to the acre, as it does to the righteous. And Job says, why does that happen? He says, they've committed murder, they've robbed, they've committed adultery, yet this whole evil brood, they actually are permitted to go down to the grave just like others. That's what he's saying in this chapter. And it's just like snow that's melted by the drought and the heat. They just disappear like the others. 
And that's not all, he says. Not only are they immune from justice in this life, he says they're actually favored because look at his condition. And poor Job is sick in this condition. He looks over at the wicked and he's getting along nicely. And he says, I just don't understand this. Now, this is the whole thought that we have here in chapter 24. And in other words, instead of helping Job, they've given him another cause for complaint and also of defending himself. He says, I want to know why I'm ferreted out and I'm treated like this. And I suppose that as a minister, when I was pastor, I've heard this. I'm almost willing to say a thousand times. And you know what the question is? Always. Why does God let this happen to me? And that's what Job is saying here. Why is God letting this happen to me? And what is the premise? The premise is, well, I'm such a nice, fine fellow. That crowd over there are wicked. <laughs> oh, my friends, today, that is a question that comes into the minds of many. You see, Job doesn't understand God, and we're going to find out he doesn't understand himself either. And yet he has a great faith in God with the limited knowledge that he has. Now we're going to have the final word from Bildad, that is, from the three friends. And fortunately, it's very brief. And I think that light's beginning to dawn on Bildad, and the light is simply this. And you'll note it in this discourse. He says to himself, he's very thoughtful now, and he was that kind of a man. He's an intelligent man. He says, if Job is guilty, why doesn't he break under all of this bombardment of argument that we've given to him? He still maintained his integrity. He stood up against it. Now, if down underneath, if there had been some rotten spot, if there had been a rotten apple in a barrel, why hasn't it come out in all of this? And this man, of course, goes back to the very basic philosophy of his life, and that is, he's a traditionalist. When I was young, we've been doing it this way for a thousand years, so why do we want to change it? And that God follows certain laws, that is, He's the scientist who pours it in the test tube and says, see, that's what happens every time. He says, look here under the microscope. This is a law, and you can't change it. And the law of God is he'll punish sinners. But why doesn't Job break under this if he's the guilty sinner? And now, let's listen. It's a very brief argument, and he's making it brief because actually he recognizes that he hasn't anything now to offer at all. And you sometimes wish that some folk today, I feel like that there's certain men, both theologians and scientists today, that speak so learnedly about the creation of the earth and what God did under certain circumstances and what God must do. And this is the way it must have been two billion years ago. Now, my friend, you may kid other folk. You may drive it into the minds of the young today and have them brainwashed. And we got a brainwashed generation today. But you're listening to one of the biggest 
skeptics that you've ever heard of. I don't believe you. I don't think you know. And this gross assumption of knowledge is not justified today of what took place two billion years ago. My friend, when you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, what makes you such an authority on what happened two billion years ago? I think you're kidding somebody. I think that you put on a white jacket and pince-nez glasses and you speak ex-cathedra and the world listens. My friend, I noticed that they want to sell a toothpaste today or they want to sell a mouthwash or a shampoo. There are only two ways of doing it. One is by sex. The other is by showing a laboratory with a scientist looking through a bunch of boiling acid in test tubes. And he speaks very learnedly. And everybody says, that must be true because he's got on that white coat and he is an authority on this. Now, may I say to you, that may sell toothpaste, but it's not going to sell me on how the world began. And this fellow Bill, Dad, I'll admit these men are smart. I'll admit they're intelligent, but they are brainwashing folk, and they're not, my friend, telling the truth. Now, listen to this man, Bildad, and he goes back to the creation, by the way. All of them do. They go back and profess a knowledge, even these young theologians today. I just get a little weary of them. They know exactly what Genesis, the first chapter, means. Do you? Do you really know? I think that if Moses was here today and could hear some of the things that are spoken, I think he'd smile. And he says, my, how those boys have learned since I wrote that. (laughs) They seem to know more than I knew about it. And I think Moses knew a great deal more than we give him credit for also. Now, let me read this. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. You see, he has an exalted notion of God, and it's good. He says, Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? And actually, I think the better translation would be, Whom doth not his light surpass? In other words, God is the supreme one. Now, he goes on in verse 4. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that's born of a woman? Now, he's asked a good question. In fact, this is the question he should have asked at the beginning. Because he, so far, hasn't given the answer to it. And he's asked the right questions, but he doesn't have the right answers. He says, Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. And they're finding out today that the moon is a pretty dirty thing up there, covered with dust and dirt, volcanic ash. Just not, my friend, a nice place to have a picnic. And It's not as romantic up there as it is down here when you're out with your girl for the first time. And also, Mars seems to be a pretty dirty place also. 
You and I live in a universe today, friends, that seems to be in a mess, by the way. The stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. Now, those that don't like that, but I like it. I think that's what we are. They talk today about that we've come from a worm. We haven't come from a worm, friends. We are a worm. That's what we are now in God's sight. Now, how can a man that is born of a woman, how can he be clean in God's sight? That's the question. It's a good question. It's a supreme question. But they didn't have the answer to this question, by the way. And only Jesus Christ has the answer to that question. I see this little sign up quite a bit today, and that is this. Jesus is the answer. Personally, I resent seeing that because my point is, what's the question? Now, if your question is, how can a man be clean in God's sight? Then Jesus is the answer to that. But if your question is, how can I get a ticket to the Rose Bowl game? He's not the answer to that question. I really don't think he's the answer to that question. But if you want to know how a man that's born of a woman, a man that's unclean, that David had to say, in sin did my mother conceive me, how am I going to be clean in God's sight? Now, Job, he begins to hit the nail on the head with him. But Job answered and said, this is chapter 26, verse 2, How hast thou helped him that is without power? You didn't have the answer, Bildad, and you didn't have the answer, Eliphaz, and you didn't have the answer, Zophar. You had a lot of talk, but no answers. How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? In other words, Job is saying this, if you cannot answer that question, you can't help me. You've got to be able to answer that question. And in view of the fact that they can't answer that question, then what they've said has been good, but it's of no direct meaning, nor does it communicate anything to this man Job at all. And what he's saying here again, the better translation, for whom... Hast thou uttered words? You've been talking a whole lot, but you haven't said anything. And whose spirit came from thee? Who do you think they are? Now listen to him. How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? You came up finally with the right question, but you never did come up with the right answer. And now Job launches in on this, and when he does... He begins to lay his soul bare. Now we're beginning to see the problem with this man here. We'll get to that, of course, next time. But now let's move, because Job has several... Oh, he has a lot to say through here, and some of it is great, by the way. Now, he moves into this area of the creation of God, and this is something that's tremendous. Let's just listen to it. He says here, verse 5, Dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. 
Now, there's been so much made of the fact that he stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and they attempt to point today, or did, that there's a void there in the north, no stars in a certain place. But that's before they got these very powerful telescopes, and especially the radio telescopes. My friend, you couldn't point a telescope in any direction, apparently, in God's universe, but what you didn't find it filled with stars. That is, there are the universes out there. So what he's saying is this, that God can reach out in space and he just covers it. He can cover the empty place and he picks out the north here and he just makes space. Now, space is a creation of God. The Bible teaches that, by the way. In other words, here is a star God created. And billions and billions of light years over yonder is another star. Now, God created it. But what about that space between so they don't rub together or run together like cars do on our freeways today? How are you going to keep them apart? Well, God puts space between. Now, what is space? Somebody says that's nothing. It is something. I don't know what it is, but it's something, and God created it to hold these apart. It's sort of like the lubricant that he uses to keep them apart. Paul makes that clear. He says, I'm persuaded, neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, that's time, things to come, that's the future, nor height nor depth. Now, height and depth is space, nor any other created thing. So he created space. And my friend, that's something for you to turn over in your mind. What is space? Now, they've spent a long time going out to the moon. But what's all this between here and the moon? Don't tell me it's nothing. Because it isn't nothing. It's something. What is it? I don't know. I'm no authority on that. I just know it's created. And it's out there. Now he says... And he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, who in the world told Job that? And remember, we're back yonder in the days of not of the Antediluvians, I don't think, but at the time of the patriarchs, at least. And here's a man that knows that this earth is hanging out in space. And even all of the mythologies, even when you come to Greek mythology, they had some weird ideas. You remember the picture that they had that the earth rested upon Atlas? And Atlas stood on an elephant. And an elephant stood on four turtles. But they forgot to tell us what the turtles stood on, by the way. Apparently, you've got to have something down there below the turtles. But they didn't come up with anything. That's sort of like evolution. You just keep pushing it back far enough and you get it down in some swamp and it becomes a little bit of dirt and filth or something, and then you've solved it. But the only thing is, where in the world did the swamp come from? Where did the little thing that started it come from? You've got to have somebody winding the thing up, my friend, to get the thing started. So that here is a man that is saying that he hangeth the earth upon nothing. And there's no foundation in under it. And you just wonder what's holding it up. But the thing of it is, if it fell, what direction would it go? Because 
We talk about gravitation today, pulling down, but that's always down to the earth. And on the other side of the earth, it's the opposite as it is on this side of the earth. So you can't say that it's all pulling one direction. And when you move way out yonder, there's nothing pulling anything. So where is down and where is up? And is that the reason that the earth hangs out there in space? Well, the reason it hangs out there in space because by him, the Lord Jesus, all things consist. My friends, we're moving into something that's great here, are we not? I told you these next few times, in fact, the rest of the way through the book of Job is a marvelous mark. Be with us tomorrow on the Bible bus. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. In our next study, we'll be marching through Job 26 through 28. Read ahead and be prepared for the lessons that the Lord has for us. To get a copy of our reading schedule, just visit ttb.org forward slash schedule or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Job isn't done defending himself yet. He's got a lot more to say, so hop aboard next time as we together make our way through the Bible. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?